Welcome back to Cyber Policy Fundamentals, the Start Here series. My name is Sasha O'Connell, and I'm a senior professorial lecturer at American University. And I'm joined by my colleagues, Drew Bagley and Megan Brown from CrowdStrike and Wiley Ryan, respectively. Today, we're going to continue the conversation about incident reporting policy. If you're looking for history and context on this topic, I would recommend a listen to episode two first, where we dig into those issues, because today we're going to jump right into policy choices currently under consideration. And with that, Drew, can you kick us off? Sure. Well, today there are state data breach reporting obligations in all 50 states. There is no federal equivalent, so no federal standard that supersedes those 50 independent laws. Now, those laws obviously have developed over the course of a similar time period. So many of them are similar in their requirements and then how they define what type of data that needs to be reported. But then layered on top of that are both in some states and then certainly at the federal level, sector-specific reporting obligations. And that's where the definitions of what needs to be reported change, but also the thresholds of when something needs to be reported. In other words, you could have some sort of incident where... You have a data leak, data loss, data breach, but it doesn't rise to the threshold of what needs to be reported. And that is something that varies greatly with different laws. And then on top of that, we now have seen newer requirements through the rulemaking process, such as by the SEC for publicly traded companies to report material cybersecurity incidents. And that means that you have some requirements where the duty is to either tell a regulator or directly inform a victim of some sort of data breach or cyber incident. And you have a newer requirement where there's a duty to tell the world. And so that's a bit different as well. We've, during this time too, what we've seen is because you have 50 different state regulators, and then you have different government agencies that regulate different sectors, even how you report a cyber incident or data breach is different. And in terms of what form you fill out, what information is required, who you send it to, and when you need to turn over that information and do that notification. So, for example, something like HIPAA, going back to the early days, that standard is still in place. That's a 60-day notification window, whereas there are now some that are as short as 24 hours. And in addition to that, what we've seen is we have seen some discussions in Washington and some efforts to try to even picture what would harmonization look like. So for example, if we take one of the more recent requirements, CERCIA, the Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act, that law, one of the things it created, in addition to new mandates for critical infrastructure, was it created something known as the Cyber Incident Reporting Council. And that was chaired by DHS and recently came out with a report. What the CERC was focused on was coming out with a report on what harmonization could, should, and would look like in terms of breach reporting. So that even if there were agencies that have completely different remits and completely different equities, there could at least be a way in which a victim could report to one place and have their data then sent to the appropriate venue, depending on how they were regulated or appropriate venues. So we do see certainly an appetite for harmonization, but no clear path at this time. 
there are 50 different versions of this, plus the new requirements coming out of CERCIA and the SEC, depending, addressing the critical infrastructure focus in publicly traded companies specifically. And this is all a bit of a jumble in terms of the specifics. And we could use some harmonization, perhaps through federal law, but that doesn't seem to be happening. Do we know what the issue is here in terms of getting this all aligned? Yeah, I think we've identified at least six that have come up in the development of the law that Drew was describing, CERCIA, that Congress had to grapple with, but also that DHS and CISA are going to have to, they're resolving right now in many respects as they implement that law. But the first big question we stumble upon, I think, is to whom should reporting be made if you're going to have mandates? And one major policy debate underlying that legislation was the role of DHS versus the FBI. Sort of does a mandate to report to CISA undermine voluntary reporting to the FBI or should the FBI have some sort of more robust role? And I think that's a hard question. Congress resolved it in CERCIA that major incidents are going to be reported to DHS's CISA. Related to that, should regulators get the information that is reported? Should they have their own mandates? Should they rely on DHS? Or should DHS keep that information kind of siloed for operational uses and not use it for regulatory enforcement type things? And related to those questions are, does the agency receiving reports, whether it's TSA or the Environmental Protection Agency or DHS, does that agency have the capacity and capability to do something meaningful with the reporting? Those are kind of key policy questions about that first question, which is to whom should reporting be required? And Megan, um, what's your thought just on that to finish up to whom, right? Drew also raised this question of public versus confidential, right? That if you're reporting, is that protected in that way? Or again, we saw this with FCC and maybe some other things coming forward, that requirement to make it public too, right? Adds another complexity. I personally think it does add a lot of complexity, and I think policymakers are grappling with that. We saw in the regulatory process at the Securities and Exchange Commission, basically the private sector crying out for less public reporting, or at least less public fast reporting, which we'll talk about timing shortly. But this question of should you report to a law enforcement agency who can operationally help find bad guys? Or are you reporting uh, publicly for some other purpose? It goes back to that threshold question Drew identified at the outset, kind of what is the purpose of the reporting? And that is going to be an evergreen question whenever a reporting mandate is being discussed. I think policymakers and regulated entities need to think about public or confidential. What are the benefits and trade-offs of each of those? Okay, so we've got two whom, and we've got a bit of discussion about then what the receiving entity does with it or doesn't do with it, right? So, and I interrupted you there, but but what about the question of what to actually report, right? And then that triggering mechanism, what triggers it and the timing? I think those are the outstanding issues. So I think in terms of what you report, this is going to be a real challenge for regulators across settings is how detailed do you want reports to be and what is the purpose of the information you're demanding, right? I think there can be a tendency to want more and more information because someone might find it useful or interesting. But I think policymakers need to ask themselves, what is that trade-off about the more information you demand, the harder the report is going to be to do quickly and accurately? And then what is going to be the use of that information? And you've seen in a lot of comments, the private sector encouraging actionable, timely information. And is the government going to do anything with it that will help the private sector 
or are they just pulling in a lot of information that may not actually be actionable? I think Drew had some thoughts on some prior legislation. Yeah, what we've seen certainly is that there is a government interest in knowing, especially at a macro level and at a trend level, what sorts of threat actors are posing a threat to companies in the United States, as well as government in the United States and, and victims as a whole, so that they can understand where are government resources appropriate to address those, where is victim self-help the most appropriate way to defensively protect against those. And so years ago, there was legislation passed that went to effect in 2015 that allowed and even created conditions to encourage the sharing of certain information with the government, with DHS. So cyber threat indicators and defensive measures. But what we've seen is that that's specific, of course, to sharing with one agency. And there certainly is always skepticism from the private sector and sharing certain types of information with government agencies, because government agencies, of course, depending on the agency, may also have the ability to enforce fines against a company, may have the ability to enforce criminal penalties and whatnot, or just even raise costs by creating more process in the form of more information requests and subpoenas and the like. And so that's where I think it's really important to make its point to be really thoughtful in terms of what is actually necessary in terms of information sharing, how's that information going to be used, but also what is that benefit for the victim organization sharing that information? Is it that over time they're going to get some information back that helps them be more secure? Is it that there's some sort of benefit from an immunity perspective with regard to what else could happen with that information being shared and whatnot? And so that's where that sort of incentive structure is a really important one in this realm. That makes sense. Before we sum up, let me throw back on the table this idea of timing, too. In addition to everything that's been put out there for consideration, Congress seems to like this idea of 72 hours for reporting. Any quick thoughts on that? I know you guys have been involved in real-life incident reporting incidents. What Give us some context for 72 hours. What's happening in response? Is that reasonable? And where do you see the conversation about timing going? Megan, I know you've got thoughts on this one. So, yeah, Sasha, there are various timeframes being adopted and considered for incident reporting. Some are really in contrast to existing state data breach laws that may provide that you have to notify a state AG in a, quote, reasonable time or as soon as practicable. We're seeing now more rigid and shorter timeframes. So Congress seems to like the 72 hours. You know, that's in the new incident reporting law for critical infrastructure. I find 72 hours to be a bit arbitrary by that number. Did anybody study the benefits of that as opposed to another period, perhaps longer? Other federal proposals that are on the table right now range from eight hours for federal contractors, which I think is frankly wildly unrealistic. Some regimes require 24 hours from some other agencies. The FCC, for its part, just recently adopted a data breach reporting rule, and it requires reporting, quote, without unreasonable delay and in no case later than 30 days. So you can see there's a lot going on in this space and the Cyber Incident Reporting Council that Congress set up at DHS to look at these issues about different incident reporting obligations, they issued a report in 2023 that hopefully we can have in the resources with this podcast. It identified 45 different federal incident reporting requirements administered by 22 federal agencies, and that's just the federal ones. Other countries are also adopting 
some pretty aggressive and unrealistic timeframes that affect critical infrastructure. And some of those are less than 24 hours. And that's really hard for companies that are multinational. The challenge, as you've alluded to, is at 72 hours after you've decided an incident has happened, you have spun up an incident response team. Drew does this regularly with his clients. You are probably still in the very early stages of figuring out what happened, trying to figure out what your recovery plan looks like. Do you have backups? Are they accessible? Have you figured out where they are in your system if there's persistent activity? You might not have even started to think about kind of root cause analysis. From my personal experience, 72 hours is very fast because there's a lot of unknowns and you're going to be expecting companies to tell the government things. People care deeply about being accurate when they're speaking to the government. So it means that you are involving lawyers and you are taking some time away from your incident responders to validate what you're going to tell the government. And that's just a real challenge. So from my perspective, 72 hours is real fast, but that's what we're going to be stuck with for certain reporting regimes. And I really hope the government calibrates their, I guess the government will need to have some uh, recognition of trade-offs. Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, in those immediate hours, the priority is always going to be to mitigate the risk, whatever it is, just like with any other risk mitigation practice. And so with a cyber incident, part of that is determining whether or not you actually have full visibility into the incident. Oftentimes you might have some indication that there was some sort of infiltration into a computer, but you might not know right away and for a bit of time where else on the network the adversary may be. And I think that's really important to remember. A lot of these cyber incident reporting requirements are predicated on the notion that a cyber incident is a single moment in time. If we look at some of the more modern trends like data leak extortion, that's certainly not the case, right? Where a victim can be re-victimized over and over again. And so what I think is much more important than even nailing down a particular time window is making sure that the threshold is right. In other words, 72 hours might not be an impossible standard to meet if that 72 hour clock does not begin until you actually have a hold of the cyber incident itself, you've mitigated the risk and then can spend those resources on getting a timely report. Whereas that those 72 hours can be very disruptive if the threshold for reporting and when the clock starts is much more vague and broad, something that's intended to ensure that the victim has to report while they're still putting out the fire. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. If your building was on fire, you'd wanna put out the fire first, then write up the report on how the fire happened. And I think that that should really be the intention here is focusing on that. So if we look historically at HIPAA, there's a 60 day reporting timeline and the HIPAA security rule has been in place for 20 years. And I don't know that we can say that Obviously, that hospitals are no longer under attack or hospitals are more secure because we have that reporting rule in place or that the cause of why the health sector is still under attack is because the reporting requirement is 60 days instead of 72, right? I don't think either is true. It makes sense and it really speaks to my last 
question for both of you on behalf of the listener. If I was new to this, there's so much to think about, right? We have the history, the definitions, we have this patchwork context efforts at kind of reconciliation and alignment, and then all of these sub issues to any of the individual policies. In the end, if I was new to this, I'd be wondering, do we know what works to your point Drew? right? Are there cost benefit analysis that have come out? Do we have data on kind of what works given the different policy objectives? Megan, you do this all the time. Is there a place to go to figure out what works? What did Congress use when they were deciding these things for Circea, for example? Well, one thing that I think people should stop and sort of scratch their heads about is the lack of data about the effectiveness of some of the prior reporting regimes or analysis of the uses of that data and the utility. I don't believe there has been an overarching review of what is good and bad in existing reporting. We have not just HIPAA that Drew mentioned, we've had several years of Department of Defense mandatory reporting under some clauses there that are fast. It's one of the places the 72 hours came from. And I don't know that folks have looked back and said, has good information come from that? Has DOD been able to help the private sector with that information? Likewise, the 2015 law Drew mentioned, which was about voluntary sharing of cyber threat indicators. A recent report came out from the intelligence community that suggested that that's good stuff, it's effective, but Congress, I don't think, looked at those precedents to say, how can we build on what has worked and improve what hasn't? They kind of moved to this Circea law, assuming that reporting will be beneficial. And I think that's a policy blind spot for some people to really think about what is the past experience with these regimes? What can we learn from that? Because I don't know that the data would support a 72-hour threshold as being particularly beneficial, but that's what we've got in the law. Perhaps a great project for any researchers and academics in our listening community to take on and help our policymakers with. Drew, any thoughts on that before we wrap? Sure. I think with some of these reporting requirements in modern times, we've seen that some regulator somewhere, so 72 hours, for example, GDPR, you look to the European Union, some regulator somewhere came up with a theory behind a number or picked an arbitrary number, and then others, for purposes of pure consistency, have piled on without going back to ask those very questions that Megan has pointed out as to whether or not that number makes sense to begin with or whether we should all have a, a new standard. I think that's really important. I think the other thing is for some of the information that's out there and been reported, it might be that that information could be really useful if certain actions were taken with that information. So, for example, when the private sector is voluntarily sharing information with the government, it might be that the government could use that information in actionable ways to disrupt e-crime actors and their infrastructure. And so there's, for some of these, we might think of the reporting and we might not think of an equivalent sort of action that could be taken. And for others, we might say, oh, Actually, the part that's missing here is the impetus to use this data in this sort of way that would benefit victims as a whole. So I always think that's really important is to ask, where is there a realm where the government is uniquely situated to do something in cyber versus where is it that victims need to improve their own defenses, get better about protecting data? be better about transparency about how they're protecting that data. And so I think that we should never assume that there's any sort of single silver bullet solution for any of this. 
perfect. I think with that just about sums up our lay down on incident reporting, right? The complexities, the history, and certainly the activity that's ongoing here makes it super relevant. So with that, we're going to wrap our episode. We hope everybody both visits us on the Start Here website, and the link will be in the show notes to see additional resources and have availability to the transcript of this episode for reference. And we hope to see you next time where we are going to tackle ransomware and other extortion challenges. So Drew, Megan, thanks so much for joining me and we'll see you next time. 